Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. Hopefully this time Otter gets it, you know what I mean? Today we are joined <laughs> by Andrew McCurn. I think I'm close. Did I say the CEO at Logchain? I have so many questions we haven't even started yet. Andy, it's great to have you on the show. How are you, by the way? Michael, I'm fantastic. Thanks very much. Um, and it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Just remember, two pints. Yeah, two. Yes, you owe me two pints. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Be just for our listeners, before we get into the, the meat of this conversation, can we get a little bit of your background just for some context? You know, I, originally, my journey into logistics and supply chain was an interesting one. So I was working in civil engineering on the railway in the UK, and I was increased my responsibilities by my boss. And he says, I'm going to put you in charge of logistics, supply chain, plant and materials, because I hate it. I hate everybody who works in it. Every day <laughs> there's something broken. Things are on fire. They're all corrupt. And I want you to bring them to bear. And that was my introduction to logistics and supply chain. And, you know, I was very much my boss's attack dog, um, but I very quickly discovered I was one of those broken, sadomasochistic people who actually enjoys the world of logistics and supply chain and found myself pivoting into it and specializing in chemical logistics. And that found me being sent out to Singapore more than 15 years ago. I've, I've been lucky enough to have some incredible adventures. My, my career has basically been someone of uh, change management going into companies who were in trouble or looking for a change. And that's that's taken me many parts around the world. I've lived in shipping containers in the biggest minefield in Iraq. I've, I've lived and worked in Zambia and the DRC. So I'm very fortunate to have some great adventures. I love this. Can we go back to this original experience though? I mean, your boss obviously saw something in you, right? This idea of like, okay, something here is really broken. I need to find a guy that can fix this stuff. Clearly he thought you could do that. But I'm super curious if this is 15 or more years ago, what was actually broken? We don't get anything without a supply chain working. And even if it's, even if it's slightly broken, like delays are yeah. going to be insane. And if they're delayed, it impacts everything that's associated with it. So costs go higher. Everyone gets angry. Insurance may get triggered. Like all this stuff downstream could happen. What was broken when you got there, if you can remember? Essentially, it was service levels and a lack of understanding from some of our partners in terms of the impact. Now, I worked for a company called Lang O'Rourke. It's a very well-known, very well-respected civil engineering company, a fantastic employer. Um, I, loved, I loved working for them. Now, their partners were, you know, they were well-known and well-respected as well. But in the railway environment, the impact for delays and missing materials runs to millions of pounds. Yeah. And some partners found this, you know, very much a very costly adventure. And, and this was it. It was a lack of understanding, a lack of respecting of what was actually needed at the sharp end, where the actual real pain points were. And a lot of people overly, overly complicating the system. So what I did was very much kind of simplify it, communicate exactly what was important, where it was important, but always the why. Can I share a story with you as well? And maybe you'll see some equivalency here. You mentioned change management, and I don't think you mentioned it in passing, but I want to share something with you that I went through as well. When I joined the trading desk, the portfolio trading desk at Goldman Sachs, the business that I joined was making $8 million a year in Asia. It was a pittance. It was nothing, right? And it was Goldman Sachs. It should have been making 20 times that. 
And by the time I left, it was making 135. And it wasn't all about me. It was about the team that, that we assembled and stuff like that. But we had to change a bunch of different things along the way. And once we changed the stuff in Tokyo where I was based, I was sent to Hong Kong to do this. But it was much more non-trivial there. They had already sent three or four guys and gals there to try to fix the Asian business, right? Which, it, which included five or six markets that were all completely different. And when I walked onto that trading floor the first day in Hong Kong, I kid you not, the like three heads of the businesses there looked at me as I walked through the door in the trading floor and they went like this. <laughs> they literally did. They laughed at me because they were like, yeah, you're just in a long line of people that are going to fail at this. And, and I didn't have any experience in that type of environment, right? I had not been schooled in change management. I didn't know the right things to do. And I kind of had to feel my way around in the dark. But you've been doing this a lot longer than I have. And I feel like you know this better than I do. Can you just run me through at a high level, what types of things you have to consider when you go into any new business or even an existing business to try to change it? Well, it's always the people. That's the, that's the number one thing. So change management is never the what, it's always the why and behind the why is the people. It, is, it, it starts and ends with people. Now, if I can throw myself under the bus here, when I first moved into change management, essentially, I was just a bulldozer. I was told to go from A to B and I would go in a straight line, ignoring people, walls, obstacles, foliage and trees. Um, that was very much my style. Very bullish, you know, and it was the hubris of youth. And, you know, it was basically along that path that I really realized that it's it's working with people that's the importance. And it's the why. This is why so many change, man, change management projects fail because you're not communicating the outcome to the stakeholders involved. You need them to be involved. It's always people. It always comes back to people. But did you know what the outcome was going to be? And again, I'm just going back to my own experience. I had an idea about what I wanted things to look like. But to be fair, like I ran into things that were actually being done that were illegal. Or that nobody knew. It wasn't like someone was trying to break a law. They were just like, this is the easiest way to do it. Just set it up this way. And I got there and I found out and I was like, oh my God, if we don't move these servers into the, into the country where they belong, we're going to be in trouble. But it was that type of stuff where so many things, it was like literally like, what's the right thing to say? Like lifting up a piece of paper and underneath it was like a thousand different cockroaches running around, right? I was very lucky because in my, I had some incredible bosses when I was younger and they were always very good at explaining what good looked like. And they were very much kind of means to an end characters. And that's the thing. I was the attack dog. So they would tell me what good looked like. They didn't care how I got there. And they, the quicker, the better. And they liked the fact that I went in straight lines. Now, I evolved and matured over the years and found that I've got a huge passion for this space. Yeah, but so this is the thing that I learned too. And I'm curious about what changed in you as well. You know, when I got there, I just wanted to run people over as well. But when, when those people started laughing at me, I was like, okay, there's got to be a different way to do this. And I had to just start yeah. testing these little processes and stuff. And you're right. It's the why and the people. But in some cases, we had to like change the people. Yeah. If you can't change the people, change the people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I mean, what, people are important because, you know, the, the old African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone if you want to go far go together yeah fair enough and it does take a village it does take a village and you also have to respect domain knowledge you cannot be an ex you know one of the things that i'm quite often to use the modern parlance triggered by yeah. is when people throw the term expert around <laughs> now you know 
I push back against that. People describe me as a logistics. No, my area of expertise is, is chemical logistics and not even all chemical logistics. It's even more niche than that. It's my area of expertise when I was in the logistics industry was liquids and gases. Pellets and powders, that's an entire other career. And you need to respect the domain knowledge and speak to people who've got real experience, who've got very specific domain experience. Communicate what good looks like, communicate the goals, and then together work towards a common goal. Can I ask about some of the idiosyncrasies and some of the nuances around the types of chemicals that you had to deal with that are different than the pellets and powders that you were talking about? I mean, I've moved everything from liquid chocolate to to things where if you get it on your skin, you'll be dead and everything <laughs> in between, you know, it's, it's been a, quite a fascinating world. Chemical logistics is really, you've got three different elements coming together and that's what I enjoyed about it. You've got engineering, you've got logistics and you've got, you know, the actual chemical technical deep knowledge, you know, compatibility of products and chemicals with different surfaces and metals and coatings. Um, it's incredibly detailed. Can I ask you this too? I was having a super, a super interesting conversation with a guy, I can't remember anymore, yesterday or the day before, right? We were talking about the insurance industry and how the people that are employed in the insurance industry have changed over time. The same thing happened to me. You know, when I first started sitting on the trading desk, it was just a bunch of wise guys from Brooklyn. And all of those guys, and I can say that out loud, and all those guys were replaced by, by like guys and gals with PhDs, right? Because the math actually really started mattering. This is a multi-layered sort of question I have for you. But over the past 15 years that you've been in Singapore, Singapore has really become like the startup and the sort of tech startup hub of Asia itself and Southeast Asia in particular. What has the impact on that been? Because it's supposed to make companies more efficient, lower cost and all this other stuff, but it also changes the type of people that need to be in some spots because they need to be able to deal with and implement all that tech too. Can you talk about some of the things around that as well? I mean, to be honest, this conversation, this is where it led me to to found Logchain, to be honest, because, yes, Singapore is very much um, a big center for startups. And, you know, it's seen as the main shop front for, for Asia. Asia for beginners, springboard to Asia, gateway to Asia. All of these cliches are quite often used. But and it is a problem specifically within the supply chain and logistics industry and, and global trade in general is you quite often had technologists wandering into this industry as tourists trying to disrupt it and with zero domain knowledge, you know. And, and this was what was the frustrating element, which led me to found blockchain because the change needs to come from within. You need to respect the domain knowledge. I mean, I used to have some conversations with some very, very clever technologists and they were they were very clever people and they were they'd invented a solution to something that we didn't have a problem <laughs> to, to match it with you know it's well congratulations guys i mean we've got thousands of problems behind me. as you can see there are several things behind me on fire do you have any solutions to fix any of that and and the other issue is the we weren't speaking the same language you would have technologists sitting in front of me. I'm an 800-pound logistics gorilla. Right. They wouldn't bring another gorilla in the room to talk to me. We could sit in the corner and beat our chests and eat bananas and talk about the solution and the problem. But no, they would come in as technologists trying to disrupt the industry, and it would be buzzword, buzzword, give me money. So what what exactly was the impetus for the founding of Logchain? You just saw this stuff going on, and you're like, if, if this is the way the market's going, I can do this like a thousand times better. Is that what it was? It, it really was. It really was because the change needs to come from within. You need people with the domain knowledge. 
yes, we are blockchain at the back end, but blockchain with a let's get this, you know, the white <laughs> get the elephant. I'll do it. Address do the it, elephant it. in yes, the room ask here. You. Blockchain. It yeah. sounds like it's related to blockchain, but I'm afraid to ask because I don't want to get yelled at. You know what I mean? Yes. I don't want to trigger yes. anything. I mean. It's it's logistics, it's supply chain, and yes, there's the blockchain element in there in terms of the name. Oh, but me. we're blockchain with a small b. So we see it as a back-end solution. So when I first got exposed to blockchain, I and my boss at the time, we quite quickly realized that the future of logistics and, and global trade in general will be very much dependent upon blockchain. But this is a little bit like we've seen this before. In the yeah. early 90s, we knew the internet was going to be the future, but nobody understood the business case yet. And there was a lot of snake oil salesmen running around with buzzwords. Yeah, yeah. And that's the exact same thing with, with blockchain. And we see it as a back-end solution. That's that's it. So the way we quite often communicate that with customers is, look, we're going to provide you a SaaS solution, workflow management, data visibility layer, and we give you a free fire extinguisher with. Now, we hope you never need to use that. And no, I know you don't want the the fire extinguisher, but it's part of the deal that's baked in. Now, you might be resistant to this and you might not be happy about taking it, but in nine months' time, you might phone me up and go, Andy, I had a terrible day today, but it could have been a lot worse. I had to use that fire extinguisher of yours. And that's the thing. What is the fire extinguisher here? Is this the blockchain? And tell me how it fits that's in. That's the blockchain. How does it fit that's in? That's the like, blockchain. What, what's the value so, add there as opposed to some other tool or back-end infrastructure that you could have used? Well, it's essentially immutability. The first and foremost is the immutability because it removes the he said, she said argument from logistics. Got it. For the last 5,000 years, anytime anything goes wrong in logistics, everybody points at each other. Yeah, it's you. It's and me. Because of the, exactly. And it's the customers who suffer. And quite often they, they don't ever get to the, the bottom of actually what the problem is. This is why quite often logistics and supply chain does have a bad reputation. Now, if you've got a, an immutable record of data, who did what, where, and when, or who did not do a certain task at a certain date and a certain time, right. and that is immutable, then you're able to build a system of trust or trustless, actually, because everything is being tracked, everything is being monitored. That's the way to do it. Now, the other element here is the cybersecurity element. Tell me. You know, this is one of the things that a lot of people aren't talking about. You know, there's a huge concern in the industry. There's so many ransomware attacks are increasing, not decreasing. The problem is growing. It's it's not flatlining or shrinking. It's a major issue, and quite often companies don't talk about this. You know, blockchain provides that additional level of security which the world needs. Is there a, is there a fraud aspect to this? Is that the word that we're not that we're trying not to use here? You're right. Instead of these bills of lading, right, that people carry around. If it is on a blockchain, which um, which platform are you using? This is a big philosophical discussion as well. Yeah, so yeah. we are not a public blockchain. We're a private permissioned blockchain. So we use Hyperledger Fabric. So we weren't arrogant enough to say we're going to develop our own. We've taken a, a proven scalable solution yeah. and applied it to the problem. That's what you would do with everything else. Look, when we put Linux into our data centers at Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, we could have written our own version of Linux, but we didn't, right? We probably went to Red Hat and just took it off the shelf and then maybe tweaked it a little bit. I don't think there's any That's nobility. Exactly what you do. Yeah, I don't think there's any nobility yeah. in having to create your own platform. I just asked because I was curious. Worse about... than that, it's arrogance. Yeah, it's, no, it's arrogant. I agree. I agree. And 
arrogance is almost as bad as hubris, particularly when you're when you're running a business. Is that fair? Oh, that, absolutely. I mean, I often call this the the order of the universe. So I'm you know I'm quite an energetic you know high energy sort of person, um, but it's it's not arrogance. It's just passion for the industry. Yeah. And what I call the order of the universe is logistics serves supply chain. Supply chain serves the business. The business serves the brand. And the brand serves the stakeholders. Leave your ego at the door yeah. and serve. Yeah. Look, I think that that statement right there is relevant to every single business out there. Right. You said earlier too, it was the, what did you call it? The service level mentality, right? That was the thing that yeah. had to change. And I even see it in my own business, right? If I send somebody a thank you note when we're done doing a podcast, or if I just do this thing, right? Actually, this thing, I'm pointing in the wrong direction, but you know what I mean? No, but I do that because it's different than what everybody else is doing. And when the guests are done looking at it, they feel like it was for them, not for me, right? Because to be fair, what you want to see the difference? Look, I could do this, but that feels a lot, that feels way more arrogant, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I see the point. I do. I, I see the point in terms of having your logo versus the customers. But this, so this is another philosophy that we have in Logchain is we're not the main character. We're no. not the hero in the story. Am I. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think if you can, but this is where the ego removal comes in, right? I'm sure that there are a lot of people that do what you do, want to make themselves the main character. Their whole firm, they want to make the main character, but it's not. It's serving other people so that they can, that so that their main characterness can be even better than it, than it is already. No? Yeah, in logistics, the sound of victory is silence. That's the best you can hope for because you don't get thank yous. That's the sound of victory in logistics is silence. That's exactly what we want to provide. I love that. I love it. You've been in Singapore now. You started your own company. You've heard a lot of buzzwords. You've heard a lot of noise. A lot of people coming in not realizing that like you're the 800-pound gorilla, that they should understand that you understand. If you back up a little bit and look up the overall startup ecosystem in Singapore, which is where you reside, how would you characterize it today? And how has it changed maybe in like the last, I would say, 10 years? I don't think there's been a huge evolution, to be honest. I think there's just a lot of churn. It's it's very much like weather vane, whatever the direction the wind is blowing. You had people, I mean, very you had the crypto... ICO bubble in 2018, then you had the exact same characters jump on the NFT bandwagon, <laughs> and you can see them, and they're all LinkedIn experts. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, it, it, it's nonsense. And again, it's unfortunately when you have a, a very rich environment, and I use that in every sense of the word. Yeah, yeah. When you have a very rich environment such as Singapore, you're going to have a lot of people with their nose in the trough. That's the reality of it. A lot of people feeding off the startup ecosystem, and and to be honest. Last year, we threw off the moniker of, of a startup. So I don't have co-founder or anything like that because, you know, myself and my business partner, who's also called Andy, by the way, to keep it nice and confusing. Right. You know, we kind of threw off those monikers because we've run businesses before. Between myself and Andy, we've got over 60 years domain experience. We've right. run companies on six of the seven continents. Yeah. And, you know, we, was, we did swim downstream and we did listen to some startup advisors, but... And a lot of them are so naive and it's they, they don't actually create or add value. It's just buzzwords that they take from, from LinkedIn and then, you know, try and advise startups. But a lot of it, it's, it's quite often self-serving, the startup ecosystem. You have a lot of people who are a serial startup people, but all they're doing is flipping. There's no, there's no value in the business. And quite often you see what happens to those entities once they're flipped 
onto larger companies. They, they quite often fold it. Exactly. Look, I call these yeah. people chasers. You said it and I'll say it again. In 2017, you know, it was blockchain, this and that, the other thing. Then it was NFT. Then it was the metaverse, right? Then it's, it's always going to be something new. Now it's going to be AI. And it's just like, and all of these things, to be fair, like generative AI, I was having this conversation with someone a couple of days ago, has been around since like the 1960s. And the biggest change to it, to be fair, has only been like the throughput. So we're all connected now, right, through, through the internet. And also compute. The computer that you use today is a million times more powerful than the computer or more than the computer that I used when I first joined Morgan Stanley in 1987. Otherwise, we would have been doing it back then. To basically help navigate some of the lexicon and terminology that's used, internally in blockchain, we have red cards and yellow cards. So just like in the football system, a yellow card is a warning and a red card is you're off the pitch. What do you use it for? So to, to basically keep us to keep us focused, to prevent the creep of buzzwords into conversations that we have yeah. with people. But we also want our customers to understand this is our philosophy. Because you know, blockchain, it's not so much about the technology, it is about the philosophy and the change management and the human element. So, you know, for example, a yellow card is is blockchain. You know, it's it's a yellow card because it's often overhyped. It's not the ultimate solution. Yeah. You know, it's an enabler. It's not a solution in and of itself. And, you know, red cards, disruption. Now, disruption might go down well in a lot of different sectors, but to a logistician, disruption means a ship going sideways in the Suez Canal. I was going to say, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's not good. No, and it, exactly. And it's if you say that in an operations room, you're going to upset a lot of people. Yeah. You know, we're here to disrupt. Well, get out then. Yeah, but also, you know, the, <laughs> can, I, can I say this too, though? But disruption, right? It feels like a really fancy word if you're trying to raise money from somebody. But I mean, even companies like Uber and Grab and Gojek and stuff like that, which will tell you that they've disrupted the transportation industry. I mean, Have they made money? No, zero. But And I'll get to that in a second, too. But, but... Now the taxi companies just have their own app. So like who's disrupted whom? And we, I could spend hours talking about this. Yeah, I mean, are you profitable? Are you close? Are you EBITDA profitable? Do you even profitable? have a pathway? Do you even have a pathway to profitability? Right. But talk to me about this a little bit. Can we just get back to the logistics and the transport side of this? You told me when we were at that event in Bangkok that this is the biggest transformation in logistics, at least during this time period. What is it? What's transforming? What's changing? And what's driving it? The transformation is through digitalization, not digitization. So again, here's words that are quite often used by people interchangeably, but they're very different. Tell me. Digitization is, is taking paperwork and turning it into a PDF. Yeah. Hard copy to soft copy, which was fantastic yeah. in the 20th century, but we're no longer in the 20th century. I love it. It's not about documents. It's about data. Digitalization is to get the data to work for you. You don't often need the bill of lading. You need the data that's within it. You don't need the Weybridge ticket. You need the data that's contained within it. This is the difference. Terminator 2 was just a movie. We don't work for the machines yet. You know, <laughs> they, We should have the machines to work for us. If yeah. you go into any logistics business, anywhere in the world, no matter how small or how large, you will find banks of people. And in the... Operations department, you and the commercial department, you'll generally have one or two subject matter experts, and the rest is a lot of foot soldiers banging away at keyboards on the phone, chasing data, correcting data, 
re-digitalizing data. They will receive information digitally from an email, which they'll then turn around and bang into a keyboard on a different system. You've got people handling multiple different systems across in and out of the digital realm. What's the end game for this or for all this digitalization though? Like what, what's trying to be accomplished? If you have access to all this data, what do you do with it? Well, I mean, we'll avoid the other buzzword there, which is big data. Because no, I'm not, it's I didn't say it. <laughs> yeah, this is. But but I am super curious, right? Because again, I can give you I can give you an example from no, my but business. What we have to do is clean the data. Yeah, to, sure. In order to get to in order to start analyzing, and and eventually we will move towards big data. But the only way you can do that is to work with data that you trust. So we come back to blockchain again. Yeah. Because. Data is great, but if it's crap in, crap out, Doesn't you matter. have to be able to yeah. trust it. Exactly. And you've had this explosion in IoT. More and more humans are actually being removed from the data capture and data entry and data creation elements of logistics. Where does the IoT go? I mean, it's not just telematic devices in vehicles, right? It's way more than that. Where else does it go? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it can be anything from floor sensors in terms of packaging. You know, there are so many different, there's a big bang in the IoT world. But the problem is, where can you put a lot of this? You don't have underlying infrastructure. Where do you plug this into your business? Oh, that's a very clever tool. We don't even have any technology that you could plug that into. This is the problem. There's a data overload in the system at the moment. In logistics, doesn't matter what industry you're in, there's always three flows of logistics. There's the physical flow, the data flow, and the financial. Now, the data flow is growing exponentially compared to the other two. Yeah, for sure. And this is a problem. So the entire industry is drowning in data, and it's getting worse every single day. So we need to take it back to first principles. Simplify everything and, and obtain only the data that you need and share that with stakeholders in a robust manner so that they can then execute their elements of the supply chain. So do you build real-time data tools for people so that once you clean that data, once you have access to that data, then your partners, your business partners and their partners and everybody along the supply chain can then look at that data and in some cases in real time and then make real-time adjustments to the business? Oh, it's instant. It's instant. I mean, the way we approach this is actually to create it's workflow management. Logistics and supply chain is all, even going back more than 20 years when I first started in this industry, it's always about workflow management. All we're doing is digitalizing that. And this is where a lot of people go wrong, I believe, in applying technology into the industry. Quite often, technology solutions are aimed at the white-collar worker, which is someone sitting at an, in an office behind a desk, quite often in a different country right. to where the operations are taking place. Now, the vast majority of supply chain data is created by and interacted with blue-collar workers on the ground. This is the thing. You've got, we put in, ooh, we've put the bill of laden on the blockchain. Congratulations. Bob in the warehouse is still using a clipboard. <laughs> well but done. Do you, but how do you change that? Because you have to change that as well, right? Because Bob in, Bob in the warehouse on the clipboard is data. He has information there. He's using that to make to make decisions. How do you make it so that he gets better data, faster access to that data, so that he can make better decisions as well? And then it's two-parter. Does Bob in the warehouse become like a data analyst at some level? Do you know what I mean? Remember, we talked about this earlier at the beginning of this conversation, how in the insurance industry, it was meant to lower costs. But what it's actually done is it's brought in people with a completely different background and put them into a similar job who can now analyze that data in real time. So how does that change? It's kind of two things, yeah? Yeah, I mean, it's, look, it's a, that's a great question. And it goes back to people again. 
So look, I talk about Bob all the time. So I've kind of fleshed Bob out. So Bob's a, a curmudgeon. He's worked for the company for over 25 years. He's right. one of the few people still in the business who was interviewed by the owner when the owner was still hiring people directly himself, you know? And the thing is, you, you've you gone, you've come with me and we've just told Bob that, hey, look, we're a, this fantastic company and we're here to bring you technology. And he immediately rolls his eyes. Why? Because he's seen so many technology yeah. projects come and go and fail. Because quite often these decisions are made in boardrooms by people who haven't had a callus on their hands in over a decade. And this is the problem. You need to speak to people on the ground and say, Bob, what's your pain points? What slows your job down? What would you like to see? And, th and that's exactly it. All we're doing is we're turning the, the, the clipboard to glass, giving them a device to basically capture and execute data in a faster, more efficient manner. Now, what he might be asking for is I would I'd like to have better updates from when trucks are arriving or when they're delayed. This is all just about connecting the dots. So rather than it being phone calls or missing the information entirely, you get automatic updates through your own personal device that you carry with you. Right. Do the people that, that work those jobs, does that change over time too as they become as you move the data analysts closer and closer to where the data actually is and where decisions get made? I think you need the technology to do a lot of the data analytics. Fair enough. What we need to do with logisticians is give them time. That's the problem in the industry. So, so often logisticians are not serving the industry. They're not adding value to the company. They are chasing data. Yeah. The, the, something that I've always encouraged my teams in the past when I was in the physical rep, because I'm still a logistician. In the past, I moved your molecules around. Now I move your electrons. Right. So I've gone from moving assets to moving data. Yeah. So it's still about having, securing it and getting it in the right place at the right time at the right price. But I've always encouraged more senior members of my team to, to clear your desk, to make sure you've got time in a day where you don't actually have something that you need to action immediately. Because then you can start taking a look at your customers and adding real value. How can you serve that customer better? This goes back to that technology is not the solution. It's an enabler. Yeah. Logistics will always be people managing assets, moving other assets. You know, one of the oldest surviving documents in, in the world is a, uh, it's from 3500 BC and it's a clay tablet. And it's about the supply chain of copper plates. I love it. It's also the oldest customer complaint letter in the world. And it <laughs> contains the words, you did not do what you promised me. Did it? So really? it shows you. Yeah, it, it it did indeed. You know, and this, nothing has changed. That was, it's over 5,000 years ago. I cannot love that any more than I already do. That is so great, and I want to I want to make an equivalency for you, for you as well. I was on the I was on a call with somebody who works in the cybersecurity space, right, and has built actually quite a good company. But he comes out of an armed forces background, and he said to me, "The war's the same. The surface has only changed, right?" And this is your idea of how I used to be moving moving physical things around, and now I'm moving digital things around. But the ideas are similar, right? It's just the tools you're using exactly are different. It's ancient. You know, yeah. because, you know, logistics comes from the Greek word logos, meaning account. So I've always said that logistics is the second science. So after numeracy, then you had logistics. Got it. And it was made as it was made a science by the military. You know, that's logistics and supply chain has always been critical to anything military. Yeah, have to. Otherwise, you can't you can't fight a battle if you don't know where everybody is. They're not in the right place at the right time. There aren't enough of them there. And in the old days, you really had to court, like now it's a little bit easy, 
easier, maybe not, but you had to coordinate like how do they get fuel? How do they get food? How do they get supplies and stipends? Because they're 200 miles ahead of us, maybe 2,000 miles ahead of us, and they still need to eat, and the enemy ain't going to feed them. Exactly. I've always said that logistics is the second science, and it's also the second industry that we've seen in the world. I'm going to ask you one last thing. Why would Bruce Lee make a great logistician, and what can we learn from him? <laughs> yes. So this this was a little bit of a, a, a flippant kind of thought experiment of mine. You know, Go there's ahead. that famous quote from Bruce Lee about being formless, like water. And this made me think about logisticians. You know, something that really upsets me at the moment is it's great that logistics and supply chain is now considered sexy ever since COVID. People realize how important it is. Yeah. Now, the problem with that is it's now fodder for the 24-hour news media. Yeah. So you're always seeing these headlines of when will we return back to normal? The, you know, the next supply chain disruption. People love this. They, they love selling fear. Yeah. Now, why this really upsets me is we live in an ever-changing world. There will never be a return to normal. There is no normal. normal. Yeah. It, it's, it's a complete misnomer in and of itself. You know, in 2020... There was more than three and a half thousand natural disasters globally, which affected over 2.8 billion people. And it was it created about $350 billion worth of economic loss. Yeah. There, there is no normal. There is no. no return to that normal. And this is why logisticians need to be careful about not being programmed by the 24-hour news media and being so down about that we live in a very exciting and dynamic world. And logisticians need to accept that and embrace it. You need to be formless like water. But also, water is incredibly powerful. When it is pressurized, when it is constricted, it could cut through glass, through rock, through metal, and even through diamond. And this is why Bruce Lee would make a great logistician. Be flexible, be formless, but make sure that when you have to, you can cut through obstacles. Andrew McCurn, the CEO at Logchain. That was awesome. Thank you, Michael.